Lawrence, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. I am officially running for president of the United States. So what's the time frame for you then? <laughs> My name's Tom Starr. I'm running for president. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg might enter the presidential race. Two chicks at the same time, man. Welcome to Off Baseline, a podcast about history, politics, and other damned lies through the lens of a professional shrink and amateur social scientist. I'm Nate Staley. I'll be your sufficiently qualified host for this hour. I'm calling this season two because I basically didn't podcast for most of 2019 because life. But the show must go on, right? Yes is the answer. I hope you enjoyed uh, episode one of this new season. Check it out. I spoke with documentarian Dominique Remy on the early stages of her film. She's calling Canary, a film about how state, cultural, social, environmental, and economic inequalities factor into the mortality and morbidity of mothers in the U.S., a fascinating conversation and an important project. You should definitely give that a listen and also definitely support that project. Uh, links are in the description of that show. And folks, they said it couldn't be done, but we've done it again. Many people are saying this. Another stellar interview for you today with immigration lawyer and host of Redirect Immigration Law and Perspectives, Stephen Robbins. We explore what's going on with the rhetoric and policy proposals of the 2020 Democratic primary candidates, uh, namely Bernie and Warren. And uh, we consider what you should do if you or a loved one are being targeted by ICE. And we discuss layers of barriers and stigma that immigrant communities might face uh, do face for accessing mental health services. Look, I'm not going to filibuster any longer. Let's get you to this content. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, YouTube, leave reviews, or become a patron. Uh, Patreon.com slash off baseline. We're talking vending machine prices here, folks. And you get a sticker out of it. So you're virtually stealing from me by giving me money. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy, so I'm just going to, you know, turn the other cheek. So good deal for you. Anyway, let's do this. Um, hi. Hi. How's How it, good do I sound right now? Uh, pretty, pretty good, I think. All right. Sounds good to me, but, um, we'll see when I finish recording and then there's this horrible humming noise or something. And oh, right. that'll yeah. be sad, but not much I can do about that. Mm -hmm. Um, how you been? I've got a, I've got one of those on my setup, a mystery hum that I can't, I think it's my computer, but... But you have an audio guy now, right? Like you, 
Yeah, he's, or a producer. But, but you know, there's only so much you can do with it after the fact. Right. I think he's. I think he's got it under control. But sounds anyways. sounds resourceful. Yeah, he's a good dude. So. So Stephen Robbins is an immigration attorney out of Yakima, Washington. He hosts an excellent podcast. Many people are saying this. They're calling it excellent. They're saying, I've never heard anything like it. It's like nobody's ever heard before. Um, it's called Redirect Immigration Law and Perspectives. Uh, I first came to know you as Ronald Reagan, a caller on the Majority Report. Welcome back to Off Baseline. Stephen, how's it going? Good. Uh, how are you? I am, I am well. I'm ready for the second... Uh, snowfall of this year uh getting ready to where, fall where are you again in can i feel like you're in kansas is that wrong that's like super close uh, because it, St. I, Louis. Uh, kansas city uh, but oh. on the missouri side so it's not even that's not even a fair thing to say mm-hmm. are there people who in earnest pronounce it missouri or is that like a caricature of um, it, a thing that doesn't exist. It's 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 like uh, there are people who say that, but it's mostly a caricature. I, you just say that because there's a lot of people that have sort of um, existential dread of, of living in like the Midwest in general, and so they make fun of like their own like local accents. So mm. usually people say Missouri when they're making fun of people they know that grew up in Missouri. Okay, got it. That's my experience anyway. So yeah, I just wanted to jump right out of the gate, Stephen. What would you do if you had a billion dollars? Oh man! So I will buy a, a, a lottery ticket once in a while, and and fantasy like when it gets real big, the what's it called, mega, the Powerball. That's it. That's it. Buy buy a couple of those and uh, drive around in my car and get lost in the thought of having lots of money. And it's hard to get past like paying off my credit cards and my student loans. <laughs> right. Like, that's the, that's part of the scenario plays out. I kind of just stew in that for a while. Yeah, billion is. Uh, I don't know that I can really understand it. No, I don't. You know? I don't think anyone really does because. Mm, I mean, it's just an obscene, it's, it's a number that doesn't really like, we don't do a billion, anything really like, like, you know, the, you know, those stories about the mega buck or the, the Powerball winners who blow, you know, they blow through their whatever, $25 million or $125 million. They couldn't psychologically handle it. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I guess it's possible. Is it possible to do that with a billion? <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like it would almost be impossible, even for those people who are just, you know, they need to take a, a class on personal finances right. or something like that. But I, 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 mean, almost, I feel like it's almost too big to even have that problem. To even squander on everything you could possibly think of buying. Like, right. do you cross a certain threshold and then you just can't? get rid of all the money, even if you're just handing people money every time you see them. How, how much of that would you need to put into a, some sort of account to be generating sizable income on its own that you could then turn around and waste? Do you, do you know uh, what I mean? Like, like 500 million? Put that in an account and then just live off the interest. It seems like, I don't know. Anyways, I, these are... Th- these are all questions that I don't really... Like I, if you ask me the same question, but like, what would you do with like a thousand yang bucks? 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's that, uh, that right. seems even just like inconceivable to me sometimes. But it'll probably, right. you know, I'll find a way. Well, I, I said this on Twitter, uh, I guess yesterday, but my student loans will be paid off in about three years and it'll free up about $2,000 a month. Oh, wow. And I, and I, I drive around just sort of like thinking about how rich I'm going to be with all of that extra money. Right. And it is a lot of, it is a lot of money. But it's, um, anyways, th- that's where my fantasies lie. A billion is like, I don't know, who can even think of that? But I do feel bad for those guys, you know, if they had less than that, it would just, it would be a real trial. Right. It's hard. I don't think it, I, I can't conceive it not affecting your, like, I can't conceive you normally responding to a, a large amount of money, like a, several million dollars of money. Like, I can't see that not making you start to have problems and make really bad decisions. Um, And I think that sort of bears itself out in the fact that every billionaire is running for president now. (laughs) Yeah, or the I was really troubled by the Bill Gates thing. The other day he was basically saying, like, you know, he's not going to rule out voting for Trump and it's going to come down to whoever is the most presidential or something like that Um, which means probably just whoever is not going to raise my taxes yeah he does this funny thing where he's like hey yeah you know raise my taxes because i i think he must have some sense of like it doesn't matter like right in the end it's going to work out for me so like the difference between 80 and 90 billion dollars is you know, I mean, it might as well be zero dollars. That's going to ruin um, him. But then he did say this thing about like, if it goes too far, then that, you know, if you take me all the way down to six billion, that's then it. I would be practically destitute. Then I am going. Yeah. If he's down to six billion, that's going to be that's your, your windows that, isn't like, going to update yeah. anymore. If it's, you're down to six billion, which just shows, you know, the, I think Warren Buffett's kind of this way, but there's this sort of like strand of even these even these billionaires know that their taxes must be raised and it's like, yeah, okay. They're like moral, but to a point, right. None of them are on board with like, Hey, uh, my existence is like a symptom of my existence is a policy uh, failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We shouldn't be lulled into a sense of like them being team players. Um, cause of the other not. Yeah. Like that's, I was going to take money from you and redistribute it, but you seem to have awareness of poverty in the world, so never mind. Right. right um, what right. do you think of, uh, and I'm deeply steeped more than any of us, which should probably be in, in, in Twitter. And uh, there, were, there are a lot of people pretty unhappy with the fact that, um, like, they were happy at first that, like, because Warren is very antagonistic or has sort of a record of being antagonistic towards rich people and Wells Fargo and that sort of thing. But so she kind of taunted him at first, but then she she responded and like, OK, let's have a beer and let's talk or something along those lines. And a lot of people seem to have a problem with the fact that she uh, responded and her tone was like, "Let we can talk about it. You, you can't even do that. Like, but I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think some of the stuff that she's said or, or done has been, you know, a little problematic. But the, I do see a thing that happens where, it, you know, when Bernie ran, 
there was a real sense that like amongst his supporters and myself included that like we need to be a little bit patient you know he's never been on this stage mm-hmm. and you know when he's interrupted by black lives matter and he says actually you know hashtag actually, actually all, all lives, lives matter <laughs> all <laughs> right. lives matter right, right. now it's like you know that's super cringy and at the time and I, you know at the time a lot of people were like oh, okay you know bernie needs a little education on this mm. and even like with this foreign policy there was a sense of like well <clears throat> He's only been in politics like his an entire his entire adult life, but he <laughs> right. doesn't he doesn't have like a, a fully formed foreign policy yet. Let's like give him the space to make a few mistakes or whatever. Yeah. But that same sort of patience or whatever, I like they're obviously running against each other. So, yeah. you know, people have their their minds made up, but I'm willing to give her a little bit of that same uh, flexibility kind of, yeah, grace. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, like. I do, I do think the right tone is to be like, Bill, if you want to talk to the president, you can write an email like every other, you know, person in the country, but I'm not going to treat you. Treat you not as a celebrity. Yeah. Right. Or as somebody with, you know, special access. And that's kind of what his whole thing was like, well, maybe I, you know, I'll vote for whoever lets me make the decisions the Mm. most, you know, whoever I have the most access to. And then for her to come along and be like, oh, yeah, you know, you can totally get a beer with me. Then it's it's not a great look. Right. No, and and I agree. It's kind of an immediate sort of concession, like starting the conversation that you probably don't want to do. But I do kind of, uh, you know, uh, sort of appreciate the fact that the way you, the way you kind of approached it, you know, Bernie has flaws, Warren has flaws, and 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 that was a flawed way to respond. Um, Her approach is going to be, you know, this is the this is the question. Mm-hmm. The question is whether or not America. America is ready for, you know, an anti-capitalism socialist uh, message uh, explicitly. And I think and if they are, then, you know, Sanders will win. And she's making this calculation, which is, well, I don't know that it's calculated. It's probably her true feelings that, you know, people aren't ready for that. And actually what we really need is like this sort of mixed economy. And so you don't want to offend the wrong people or, you know, it's just a different approach. And yeah. I mean, so what what I've kind of heard from my, some, from some of my friends has been, uh, they, they kind of bring up the he's been in politics so long. You mentioned that earlier, and, and they they say he does he's done nothing, and, and I, I disagree with that just on the basis of there's different ways you can do things. But also kind of bring up the point that uh, yeah, they may people may not be like she can work with the existing Democratic Party structures in a way that Bernie can't because he's uh, antagonistic towards them. And uh, I I kind of, I'm conflicted on that because I hear that. But at the same time, there's so much of the Democratic Party that is not worth redeeming. Um, (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like, if, if you do believe in structural change, then that means structural change. Right. And it doesn't mean like, structural you know, change as long as everyone agrees, keep this, 
a dead body on life support for as long as possible. No, it means like there's going to be uh, real shocks to the system. And, you know, that's the other thing I you know, if the change is necessary, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So um, that has to be the starting point. But I think a lot about Obamacare and how like the website was a little buggy. And so that led to like a major political. That was a nightmare. you know, upheaval and not, not the website alone, but mm-hmm. like how much mileage they got out of right. see the website doesn't work exactly how we want it on the day we want it to. Therefore our entire political project was, um, is correct. <laughs> and right. so in other words, I think about that and I think about like, some people are saying we just need to, you know, just just do Medicare for all. We'll like, we'll like figure it out later. And it's like, you know, no. Some of these things have to be carefully and thoughtfully rolled out, or else you run the risk of, of a similar dynamic. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. The primary is a tough one, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I do think like. I, I've just been in denial about the Biden thing. Um, I've, yeah, I've, and, I've been pretending he doesn't exist because I don't, I literally don't. And everyone who podcasts or does a show about this says, I don't know a person who supports Joe Biden. Which is true. And like, it could be, I, I kind of suspect that like, you know, the first states will come along and Bernie will outperform the polls and, mm-hmm. and, and bury Biden. But like, there's this chance that, Biden performs pretty well and and wins the first couple. And then we're sitting on these Bernie, you know, Warren uh, arguments like this is all. Yeah. The the hypothetical pay fors of of Medicare for all. Yeah. That's why I wish that I kind of wish they would just Voltron and join forces and. And then we could literally be like, all right, everybody else go home. Like, I don't, and I don't care. Right. I say don't and care. Consolidate. Who, and who's at the top of the ticket or the VP or this or that. Like, I, I just want it to be over. Yeah. <laughs> I, right. I want, uh, I want a ranked choice voting outcome, <laughs> I guess. Right. Right. But they're yeah, two different so. people, two different political campaigns. And the thing I want most, which is for, like both of them to ascend and all of the Biden and Buttigieg to go away. That's not going to happen as easily as I would expect it to. And it would be super easy if they just worked together and pretended that politics doesn't exist. But I wanted to, I I know you talked about in your call on, on the majority report the other day about how you've been a bit of a fence sitter in this democratic primary uh, prior to the Bernie releasing his immigration plan, much to the chagrin of, 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 again, Twitter, they want answers. You know, they, they, they they want everyone to immediately have all the decisions made. And so let's just jump right into it. Uh, the hard hitting uh, question here. What do you, what do you make of Amy Klobuchar's immigration plan? (laughs) Well, look, I think it's going to be transformative at Chuck it, it, Todd's Thanksgiving not, dinner table. It's not about what you want to get done. It's what you can get done. And so you want to really just nibble mm-hmm. around the edges. And uh, mm-hmm. that's a 
that's a genius, a genius move. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, for Klobuchar. That's a good answer. Um, I, 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 this is what I'll say about the Bernie thing. It's it's such a great plan, and and like Michael Brooks, who I love, he's a dear friend. His his whole thing was like, of course, this was coming, and it was super obvious. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, you know, like, if you look at you. Bernie's record, it was it was never going to be obvious. And, you know, there's lots of old clips of Bernie being great on LBGTQ issues mm. and things like that. And and like, frankly, like his immigration records, not the best. Dicey. And, and the, the reason why you hold out or push him in certain directions, and it's clear that he was uh, pushed in a certain direction on that by all the right people. And I think he right. deserves the credit lies in, in having his ear finely tuned to the right people. Right. And that's a polit, that's a political, um, asset and skill that he should be praised for. But, you know, you should listen, when you, <laughs> you know, when you, yeah, when you've right. not been good on the issue or not been Maybe. as ideal as you could have been, or I don't know how you right. want to say that, but yeah. Um, and so um, I, I think we run into trouble when we start projecting values onto politicians, especially mm-hmm. like, well, Bernie's a press progressive guy, so it's safe to assume that he's just going to kind of do the right thing. And in, in fact, politics is this even with the people you like or, or mostly agree with, it's a struggle. And it's, you know, we can expect if he wins for certain issues that people really care about to be jettisoned or forgotten about. And, and people need to be, you know, ready for that and not right. under the impression that like things will be on cruise control. Cause he's, you know, he's got the because right ideas all the time, Bernie. but he's just Bernie. So the, but the plan is really good. And I think that concern is true for any issue, but for immigration, especially, I mean, I talk to immigrants all the time and it's like, well, you know, maybe if there's major, major changes in 20, well, I've been saying this now for 10 years, but maybe in 2020, you know, we get changes in the Senate, get, get a new right. president, right. you know, there could be immigration reform. And they just look at me like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, okay. is, our issue is, is the first one to be sacrificed upon the altar of, you know, well, we had to do healthcare first. And so of course we couldn't do this right. or, or we had to act tough on the border mm-hmm. so that we could get a reform that never happened. And so that's just the way that politics works. It doesn't make it into a lot of first hundred day conversations (laughs) other than like, other than like dreamers go, you know, like that's, that's a thing, but like, but the, one of the powerful things about the proposal is, you know, it it really does. And I've, I've tried to get people to understand this for a long time. The plan sort of makes it clear you know, it's a web of issues, you know, uh, employment issues and security issues and humanitarian issues. And his plan really, I think, nails that. Mm. And then uh, the the value of the plan is that he's he's got something specific to be held accountable for now. Right. And it, it's really easy. He deserves, deserves a lot of credit because with immigration, it's real easy to be like we're going to have a family first approach that focuses on humanitarian solutions to our modern day problems. And we're going a, to a new kind of possibility um, of, yeah, we're going to risk our imagination. <laughs> it's a new type of possibility. And you, and to the untrained ear, you listen to that and you go, Oh, you know, all of that sounds really good. And yeah. then it turns out like, 
it's a word salad that doesn't actually mean that's super easy to do with immigration but his plan is so specific Mm. that it's going to be hard if if he doesn't you know move on on the issue and the ways he says that he can't try and there's no wiggle room now for him to say well you know i didn't really mean that um right that was that was just my marketing (laughs) that was just PR. right yeah, I mean that yeah. that would be disastrous if you know if that did happen. But uh, that's that's what you need. And to your point, that's what you need with with politicians is you can't just elect them. And 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 to be fair to uh, a lot of people that we've been sort of referencing, that have been saying this is how politics works. Like, okay, yeah, you have policy, but like it doesn't matter what politician you have to be active and engaged in sort of holding people accountable and not check out after you vote them in. Right, exactly. And that's what so, this plan is, helps with. I mean, there's a lot of just good stuff if you're looking for it. Like, doesn't it dissolve? So help me understand, does it dissolve ICE? Or like, what is it into the Justice Department? I'm trying to understand that specifically. Yeah, um, he he talks about reshaping those agencies mm-hmm. and I think sort of reassigning um, a lot of their their duties. Uh, hold, hold on just a second. Uh, yeah. Do you edit your show or do we I, have to do this? I can. Stream, stream of consciousness, <laughs> that's okay. Yes, and even something like reshaping, I mean, that's a confusing thing. But And I think there would have to be more de- uh, details about that. What is but, that, yeah. Yeah, but like, uh, for example, within ICE, there's an agency called HSI, and they actually do a lot of really important work. And whenever ICE wants credit for like, well, we uh, we fight human trafficking, what they mean is HSI, which is, mm. you know, this separate thing. Oh, and really? So, Didn't, yeah. Not... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's part of ICE. It's a, it's a sub-agency. Okay. So you, you get the people who are like you know, arresting pregnant ladies with no criminal history for no reason. Finally. And they're like, and they're, yeah, finally. And they're, they're like, well, look at all this important work we're doing. And by we, I mean, this agency I don't work for like at all. Basically like immigration used to be in the treasury department, then the justice department, Mm -hmm. and then in the uh, anti-terrorism department. It just shows like a shift of our understanding of of migrants as like uh, an economic tool mm-hmm. to a, a group of criminal, you know, potential or real criminals to terrorists. That's sort of like that's an, how American. That's an interesting American point. Thinking. Like it, it reflects our attitudes and our priorities, which have always been terrible. Uh, right. Like not that there was ever a, you know, the the golden age of immigration under the Chinese exclusion. <laughs> right. um, back, you know, back in the good old days when we were moral. Moving some of those things around and um, making the immigration courts actual courts would be, you know, a good step. He talks about that um, right now, like the judges who I all love, of course, in case they happen to be listening to this, each and every one is great. People. Just a special, <laughs> a special little child of God in my eyes. Personally, yeah, definitely, um, no doubt. But they're not technically judges; they're technically DOJ employees. They don't get memos and stuff from the attorney general about how they're supposed to be doing their job and how fast they're supposed to be adjudicating cases. And so, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how about the immigration court be an actual court, like the bankruptcy court, or mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things. That would be a good, a good move. But good. yeah, when you talk about restructuring those organizations. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go, but I think 
the main thing would be to take like the the family-based stuff speaking of family and, right <laughs> yeah and taking it out of anti-terrorism machinery yeah you know? it doesn't yeah. really make sense it's all weaponized so, yeah. right yeah that's true too um, and then, so and an encouraging thing that I sort of got out of that was the the lowering it from a uh, the, the the level of crime that it is to cross the border. Explain yeah, that, that a little that bit. Was, well, that was uh, the Julian Castro thing in the first right, few debates, right. and it's kind of a small bore thing that. Um, sorry. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Basically, when you cross the border illegally, most of, most of the time it's uh, treated as a civil issue mm -hmm. anyways. You're just sort of, you don't actually touch the criminal court. You, uh, are you able to like pick up this conversation in 10 minutes? Yes, absolutely. Is that going to, okay, yeah. that's going to, that's going to help. Okay. Give me 10 minutes. You're good. You're good. Okay. Bye. Yep, bye. Okay. Sorry. Former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick is reportedly eyeing a 2020 presidential bid. My name's Tom Sire, I'm running for president. Right, it hasn't been easy for uh, the University of Minnesota sports, um, but this is just like our golden gopher moment uh, because this is a scrappy team. As you know, their one senior uh, is out now, and so it is all younger guys who have come up and are fighting hard. And when you watch the team, when they played both Michigans, one they won, one they narrowly lost, and even when they were losing, they seemed happy, just happy to be there. Um, and I think that kind of optimism and just joy of the sport is what like, we like to see in Minnesota. <laughs> Hey. Hello. Hey. All right. I'm freed from all possible distractions. <laughs> you know, here on uh, the Off Baseline podcast, uh, we say uh -huh. hobbies first, um, being yeah. a responsible parent second. So. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, uh, just to get back to where we were at, uh, yeah, so Amy, the, Amy the supports a comprehensive immigration <laughs> reform bill that includes the DREAM Act, border security, okay. and an accountable mm -hmm. pathway to earned citizenship. So thoughts on uh, Bloomberg Clubshark ticket? It, yeah, it's important that it's earned. It's also imp important that she's uh, able to, to really uh, win in Wisconsin. Right, which, right. That's so, how you do it. So one issue for me that I'm just not, I'm not going to compromise on. No, no. And so for right. me, it's got to be Klobuchar. There's really, there's no other None choice. Other That's your obvious choice. To me. <laughs> None of these other Wisconsin. So, um, are you still there? Yeah. No, it cut out for a second, uh, but it's back now. So, um, um but we were talking, so, so the, lower criminal penalties yeah, the, for border crossings. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, pretty good, uh, or not pretty good. It's good to have in there. It's also like mm -hmm. it was weird when um, Castro tried to make it sort of like the center stake um, of his immigration platform because basically the way it works is, you know, let's say you're um, 
you're Juan and you're from Oaxaca, Mexico, and you cross the border illegally and, you, and you're apprehended by Border Patrol, mm-hmm. typically they'll just handle it as a civil matter. They'll print you and get your biometrics and everything, and then they'll either uh, deport you um, or they'll do what's called voluntary return, where it just gets registered as you know a turnaround, basically. Even though there is a misdemeanor statute on the books. Now, what happened is, I've completely lost track of time, but I'm pretty sure it was last year, the Trump administration said, you know what, here's a cool thing we can do. We're going to strictly enforce this misdemeanor illegal entry uh, law, which means, you know, you capture a family or something in the desert, and instead of just sending them back or even deporting them, which is is a civil matter, but it has real legal consequences. Mm-hmm. Rather than doing that, what we're going to do is transfer them to some county, you know, county jail and send them to federal court and have them uh, face this federal misdemeanor charge. Well, you know, if you're if you've got kids with you, most county jails can't hold kids. And so there was just this chaos of parents and kids being separated and um, kids or parents not even being assigned alien numbers. And being totally lost. And this is like a thing that was completely predictable. Um, and they right. did it anyways. Right. But cruelty is um, the there, point. Right. And the reason why it's maybe not uh, why it's good, but also not the point is because it wasn't strictly enforced before Trump made a big deal out of signing a thing, like <laughs> stopping his own practice and then acting like he deserved a bunch of credit for not kidnapping kids anymore. That was so his peace not, prize. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they're, so they're not even really, uh, doing it anymore. Now, if I, like I am of the opinion, uh, I'm a bold legal scholar in this, in this, uh, way Correct. that if you're going to have a misdemeanor law that you're mostly going to ignore, then, you know, maybe don't have the misdemeanor law. So yeah, I mean, right. appeal it. Right. And, and that's, Great, but also when people say, like, we can handle it as a civil matter and just deport them and leave a deportation on their immigration record, which is often worse than a misdemeanor, you're not telling me completely. You're, you're not answering the whole question, I guess. Yeah, so, so <laughs> but, Bernie— But it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But right. I was confused in the debates when, you know, if I had to rank the top— 20 problems with our immigration system. You know, I don't think it makes the top 20. And Julian Castro was trying to like hold other people's feet to the fire and act like this was the the number one issue of our time. And it's just kind of not that that would fix everything. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So it sounds. So I wasn't sure if it if it uh, decriminalized border crossings versus lowering the penalty. I guess. Um, or if there's a difference, functional difference there. Well, I guess I think they want to, um, repeal that law so that, you know, you're not going to get dragged to federal court and charged with a misdemeanor, um, illegal entry just because you tried to enter illegally. I gotcha. Um, Which again, I mean, that's basically how it's already been handled almost always, um, as a civil matter, not as a criminal matter. So, so what would be your, uh, sort of, is there something that surprised you? And as far as, I mean, there's kind of a lot in, um, 
the 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 policy page that was put out. Yeah, um, I don't know that it, it's again. I don't know that it's surprising. Like he's a bold progressive, and so he came out with something that was bold and progressive. I wasn't right. like, what? Right. Um, wasn't a guarantee, but the fact that it came right. out is good. One of the more innovative things is. Um, you know, linking it to labor standards, mm-hmm. um, having a $15 for, uh, farm workers. Is that, yeah. Um, a higher minimum wage. And that's so mm-hmm. huge. I mean, I, I've had a lot of clients who there, there's different types of farm workers and farm jobs. There are people who sort of, as the seasons come, they're hopping around to different farms, doing different types of work, usually, you know, picking or pruning or whatever. And then there's people who have real steady work at a single farm and or seasonal work at, at one given farm or ranch. And then there's people who like literally live on the farm and do all the work. Like they're kind of instrumental in making the whole operation go. And even those people often when I meet with them, they'll say, you know, I've worked here for 20 years. They're basically always on call, putting out fires and whatnot. Mm. And like inevitably they're making like 11 or $12 an hour, a $15 minimum wage for farm labor labor would be, you know, that would be incredible. And uh, like a major shift. And then also like a, a whistleblower visa. So there, there's, there's, there's something sort of similar that, that exists for, for victims of crimes. And if you're, if you're a victim of like wage theft or, or something like that, that, this visa kind of already exists, although it's subject to like major backlogs right now, mm. but, you know, sort of heightening that and, and having it be its own category, its own thing, I think is really important. And Bernie always, you know, he voted against the immigration reform, I think in 20, 2007 or six. And, um, he went on Lou Dobbs <laughs> afterwards <laughs> to sort of like right. celebrate his no yeah. vote, which Hillary Clinton got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of traction out of it during the debates in 2016. Mm-hmm. But Bernie's response, I think it makes a lot of sense, which is that, look, that bill had a lot of uh, labor provisions that were ultimately about codifying a sort of slave labor system. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I think he's been able to answer his, uh, you know, sort of, um, I guess, to, solve to, the the issues that he had with that in his own proposal. Right, right. He kind of was able to take a, a stance there, but then sort of uh, it seems like there's been some evolution in uh, sort of how he has treated this. I was watching uh, a segment of uh, Rising with Crystal and Cigar, a more popular progressive show on the Hill uh, these days. But they had the Bernie campaign, uh, a senior policy advisor, Chuck, Mm -hmm. and uh, he highlighted the fact that the plan was designed uh, largely by by sort of collaborating with people actually in the immigrant community and sort of contrasted that with uh, policy being crafted, you know, by white Ivy League consultants or something. Right. And it, yeah, it, no. it had me wondering, like, is this unique? Is this like a is this a unique thing? Is this is this sort of innovative to use that word, or is it like kind of like a campaign flex? <laughs> um no, I do think it that first of all definitely comes across because Mm -hmm. you don't normally read a policy proposal like this more than like two or three lines before you're reading about how we need more high skill visas. Right. Um, Right. And 
maybe I missed it, but I don't remember reading about that particular plank of the plan. But I, I will say, um, you know, the warm plan has been outflanked, I think, officially. But and you said there were some good things in there, like the warm plan was good. No, yeah, that's the thing. Is like the warm plan wasn't just good; it was really good. Mm. And so, you know, and, and I'm not gonna say that like she's the reason why he did that, but there is a sense of like she steals all her good ideas from from him, and uh, mm. it seems like maybe maybe this time it's the other way around. She, well, yeah, I'm not going to accuse anyone of plagiarism. I I don't think it's plagiarized, but I do think she at least beat him to the punch. And so those two plans in that sense are unique. They're, they're sort of, they do seem to read sort of, uh, as written by actual advocates and actual people who know the system and not just like, uh, we just got off the phone with Bill Gates and, and they're having trouble with their getting their Indian engineers over. There's a backlog. And so we got to really fix that problem, (laughs) which is another, uh, we talked about sort of hitching the the immigration system to the anti-terrorism thing. Mm -hmm. Security. Yeah. And yeah, security. And and in another similar way, I I feel like the sort of business side and the family side, it's weird for it to kind of all be treated the same. I remember, I've probably told this story before, but in 2013, when it looked like immigration reform was going to pass, AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, sent members to lobby in Washington, D.C. And so I was there with a bunch of these Seattle lawyers. You know, Seattle lawyers. I Seattle said that kind lawyers. of shitty. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, well, the problem with the immigration system is that Juana, my client, spent too long in detention and, you know, bails are too high or whatever. And they're like, yeah, my clients are, you know, the local hospital and Boeing and Microsoft. And they're just two totally different wow, worlds. Yeah. That's um, a completely different situation. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times it always felt like we have to hitch our... <laughs> hitch our issues onto the Microsoft issue set or else this will never, ever happen. And both of these plans uh, seem totally divorced from that previous reality. They they reject that kind of theory of power or that that deference to like, okay, if, if if you want the immigrants to have any rights, it needs to be cool with Boeing or whatever. Right, or just like, oh, you know what? We can uh, we can get a couple green cards for uh, some farm workers if nobody notices. We'll just like throw it in, sneak it in, sneak it into this thing about uh, you know Boeing techs. And the other thing is, you know, in 2013 there was that whole dynamic, but also the dynamic that like we're going to pass some sort of amnesty. We're definitely not going to use the A word because that's. That's a no-no. But we're going to pass some sort of amnesty. But we're also going to, like, ratchet up the criminal bars. So amnesty, but not if you've ever had a DUI, not if you've ever been arrested for anything ever. And this is, like, such a good compromise that you have to sort Mm. of grin and bear it. And both of these plans also reject that dynamic. And they both propose dialing back the number of criminal bars that already exist, which is amazing. I never thought I would read something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't have to worry about what Ted Cruz thinks in this bill. Like He's fine. Right. Like we don't have to worry about him. Well, and the, the other thing is like, these aren't bills. They're, they're plans. And right. You, right. Good and point. so you can, 
you can stake your position out as wherever you want it to be. And, you know, the Democrats, their whole thing has always been to, like, plant their post at the compromised position. Mm -hmm. To not risk the imagination of a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) A new boss. Right. Right. Um, I, I can't and, get that quote right. It's it's too genius. I can't recreate it. I think it's a risky imagination of a new kind of possibility. Is that it? That's it. That's that sounds right. Almost too, it's almost too articulate. I don't well, think that, that's... Definitely feels inspirational. <laughs> Anyways, they weren't risking the imagination. Certainly not of a new possibility. Right. Um, so Those are pretty yeah. old possibilities. Yeah, it sounds like those are too good for proposals and one outflanks the other and that that's comforting at least it sounds like it's it's comforting to know that that's like that's not just hanging in in the ether now that's there's they've staked some sort of like position on that yeah i mentioned earlier like i i try and turn people onto politics and i can see they usually start falling asleep when i bring it up but you know, at a consultation where there's maybe not a lot somebody can do or their only real hope is immigration reform, I'll say, like, you know, there's elections coming up. And, and it's nice to have two candidates, one more than the other. Like, we have to make sure we're not making, making it upset, everything but, equal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where we can say, like, if, for example, if I'm meeting with somebody who's subject to the, the three-year, ten-year bar, I can say, look, here are two candidates for president who because before it was sort of like well you know hopefully you know democrats are sort of generally kind of better on this and hopefully they do something you know that would be great um but now there's actual words on a paper that i can print out and give to people and circle it and say look you know this person with a face who's running for president wants to undo the thing that's keeping you from legalizing your status. And that's, yeah, it's... uh, Which is a much, much better position than just saying, you know, so one side is saying the equivalent of, like, let's make the sand glow and let's, (laughs) you know... Yeah, not the equivalent. I think they've literally said that. No, no, that's that's a a, pretty... Yeah, no, you're right. That's a direct quote. Um, Uh But, yeah, so, like, instead of just sort of wishful thinking of one side's horrible, saying horrible things, and one side's not saying horrible things, Things as bad. Um, one side, side is offering a different separate, vision. Yeah, one side wants to separate some kids from families, and the other side wants to separate them all. And so, <laughs> uh, right. um, or just the yeah. sort of general sense that, like, if we're all really good and we, <laughs> you know, yeah. we uh, we are we're all in our best behavior, maybe. The uh, politics fairy uh, will bring us something nice under our pillow. Oh, elect the good people, and the good people might be benevolent and 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 enforce the policy different if you're good. Yeah, just to transition a little bit. So a video came out a few months ago of an an ice uh, raid here in Kansas City, and uh, the Kansas City police was also kind of complicit in this. They called them to like kind of reinforce, basically harassing, arresting this uh, a Mexican national. They he was in his car. They were like, all right, we have to do it. And they were asking him if he had a warrant. And then they're like, well, we don't need a warrant. So they smashed his car window and dragged him basically out of the car in front of his girlfriend and two young children. And you know it, the whole thing kind of 
shook me as which showed that I still have a semblance of a soul and uh, like it just felt really really helpless you know and, and so there's a lot of claims as to like well did they need to see a warrant was he like what could he have done or said or who could he have called what can you say like let's say they called you up while they're in the car and you know they're trying to detain him without showing any proof or evidence or anything like what is there anything you could say to them as maybe as an immigration attorney obviously noting the fact that like this isn't legal counsel this is a podcast and we're speaking hypothetically here but yeah i mean i guess like in the main thing is that you don't really have to answer questions you can Mm -hmm. just say you know i want to talk to a lawyer which in the immigration context there's no right to a government provided lawyer but you have a right to hire a lawyer to talk to one and you know so in removal proceedings ice bears the burden of establishing alienage Mm -hmm. um so you go to immigration court and it's the ice attorney's burden to prove to the judge that this person is you know who we say they are and they're from where we say they're from and most of the time they meet their burden by just asking the person Mm. and they're like like are you from here no get papers no um so their their burden is basically (laughs) met right so the first thing is to just shut your mouth that's Mm. like good generic (laughs) immigration or uh, lawyer advice just don't say anything they call you up you're like hey look okay shut your mouth (laughs) yeah um and then yeah, I think that they they did the right thing. Um, mm. I think this. I don't know the specific circumstances right. of that case. Um, I saw that video; it's really disturbing. Yeah. Um, I think that you know. So I, I don't want to be in a position of of trying to. I, I don't think their actions were reasonable, no matter what. Maybe there was some circumstance that led them to believe he was dangerous like i i haven't heard anything like that right. you know and that's the sad thing about the the current administration and their enforcement priorities is that you know what we see a lot here locally is kind of the opposite like oh i see you're with kids just you know here's my card this is our office we want you to come check in and we can talk to you about your case which is kind of like the thing that somebody with like human emotions would do right but they don't always obviously use those tools that they have to just talk with people and say hey you know you need to come check in with us in a month or in a week and in the meantime like talk to a lawyer i read that they they said it was a murky case since he was in his car does that like is there uh is that a thing like uh is, is the implication different if you're in a vehicle versus just like they go to your house or something or yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that exactly. I know that mm-hmm. they don't have the right to go into your house without your permission unless they have a judicial warrant. And mm-hmm. they have like these ICE warrants that say the word warrant on them, but they're not actual warrants signed by judges. Super official at the bottom. <laughs> Super official warrant. Totally real warrant. <laughs> it's like signed by themselves. You know, they signed it. Uh-huh. 30 seconds before um you know so they're not allowed to go into your house without permission sometimes they'll trick people into giving permission or they will uh wait outside or they'll trick people into leaving their house so i've had a lot of cases where they're like you know on the front of their vest it just says police yeah i mean (laughs) yeah no that's right i can't yeah that blew blew my mind the fact that that just says that 
yeah so then i've seen this scenario a few times like oh sir is that your car out front yeah oh well we need to talk to you about your car so, you know something's going on with your car mm-hmm. so then you step outside thinking like somebody broke into my car or i don't know what's going on but the cops are here and then they arrest you so yeah i, I don't know this kind of an interesting law school exam hypothetical like oh well what about when you're in your vehicle you know right. it's not a domicile or whatever right i'm not i'm not sure exactly but uh they, they they find these things these law school philosophical kind of arguments <laughs> And just kind of, you know, maybe the local police that, you know, they were called in and, and maybe they say something about how they're not being cooperative with law enforcement or something. And that's right. reason well, enough. You know, and those guys could always go get a judicial warrant if they thought there was, um, you know, something really nefarious going on. Mm-hmm. I think the, the best advice... Uh, for somebody in that situation is to talk to a lawyer beforehand, um, you know, go talk to a reputable lawyer, make sure it's somebody who's an actual lawyer, not like a fake lawyer. <laughs> um, find out what your not options good. would be right. if you were to get detained. Cause there's going to be some people who honestly, like if you get picked up by, by immigration, you're going to have close to no options. And if that's the case that, you know, that family needs to adjust accordingly or make arrangements for uh, contingent certain contingencies. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who will have really good immigration defenses and immigration court if if the government tries to deport them. In fact, every week I meet people who the only way they will get papers ever is through an immigration reform or if they get placed in removal proceedings. So there's certain defenses to deportation that can provide green cards mm-hmm. that only exist if you're in, in that stage if you're in that stage if you're in a de- defensive posture and so when i meet somebody in that situation it's pretty comforting for them to know like okay these are kinds the kinds of documents we want to have together we want to make copies we maybe want to put them on like a usb and give a a backup or a copy to a friend or a family member. Mm-hmm. And that way, if, if they're confronted, I think the family can sort of approach the situation with a certain state of mind. Yeah. Um, not, not, not that it's not that it's not fair. That, <laughs> oh, not that it's fair or not but that like, it's like you have super to like comforting. do, no, no, yeah. you have to, you have to do your pre-work. Like if you're in that situation, like you have to sort of, I don't know, do your advanced healthcare <laughs> directive or whatever. Like you have to plan right. ahead of time. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, we've even had situations where, like, because the family was prepared, um, when they call, the you know, they'll call on an emergency basis. Oh, my mom got picked up, and if we kind of already know her story, you know who she is, and they, the family can get us the documents in time. We've been able to get bond set at a local level and avoid, you know, transfer to the detention center and that sort of thing. So, you know, when people are are prepared and ready, uh, it makes just a huge difference. And yeah, it's not like when I meet with, sometimes they'll have middle school or high school age kids and I'll try and explain it to them because I'm pretty young and hip. Um, so I'm able to sort of turn on that cool teenage talk. It's correct. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. 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 And, um, obviously it's not, there's no way to be like, Hey kids, when your mom gets arrested, it's actually a good thing. Like it's never going to be a good thing, but I do think 
I can see a change in them sometimes when they realize like, all right, well, somebody knows this, knows our case now. And I can see that if she were arrested uh, in the short term, it's going to be hard and there's going to be some complications, but there's actually potential long-term benefits. And just having that sort of peace of mind, I think, can help the kids too. Because, um, uh, yeah. I mean, right. So as far as kids go and, and their conceptualization of this, it's it's hard. It's hard for a child to understand even what immigration is, let alone like right. uh, what to do when you're separated from your parents or you're you're at, at risk of having to talk to law enforcement or ICE or whoever. Preparation and repetition and, and familiarity with like, okay, this is a routine we need to be doing to stay safe. Um, yeah, that's important. I mean, that's just developmentally appropriate. Right. So just one last uh, question here. I want to be respectful of your time, Stephen. I uh, appreciate you, uh, you know, yeah, no talking problem. to me. Um, what are some ways for uh, normies <laughs> to be <laughs> allies of the immigrant community? Um, there's like there's an immigration attorney group near my house. There's been a few days when Trump said something or like something happened, like the day that video came out, I just thought, man, I'm just going to run inside there and scream. I'm here to help. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think that would actually help, but like, I know for folks with means, there are organizations that could use some of those means. Um, yeah. uh, some involved with the DSA and other organizations are doing like direct action. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the boomers in my church are praying like what, what can, uh, <laughs> yeah. what can we do? Yeah. So uh, there's really like no limit. I guess what I would first say is like do an audit of what you're currently doing and like almost no matter what it is, mm. you could probably do more. So for most mm -hmm. people, it's probably like I tweet some stuff. That's, you know, that's good, I guess, but hey, you got some followers. Um, yeah. There's, from really little things like, well, I'm going to set up a $5 monthly recurring donation to a nonprofit that, mm. that, that does really good work to, I'm just going to get involved with the local democratic party and, and help with registration drives, you know, getting people registered to vote. There's, I just got real aggressive in Pacific County, Washington, uh, starting a couple of years ago. And I just started to see this group of ladies, kind of older ladies, but like real indignant, like showing up for immigration court. <laughs> wow. And like they've got a little bond fund. They've been raising money for people's bonds. And I've got a client from that area. Once in a while, the, the check that we get is from them. So they're helping pay for my services too. And that, that was, these are regular ass old white ladies. They're not like, <laughs> Oh, well I've got a JD and a LLM from this, from Georgetown university, or I'm this or that. They're just, they were just ladies who were pissed. They, they watched so, the news and got pissed as, as often. <laughs> yeah. happened. And then they took that next step, which was to do something about it. Yeah. And so obviously like if an organization like that already exists, you should do a little bit of research and just go to them and say like, I, I need to get informed and I need to, you know, how can I plug myself into this infrastructure that already exists? And then if it doesn't, don't be afraid to start one yourself. Yeah. And then it, I think no matter what you do, the key is going to be to, to listen to the community and be there to learn more than you're there to 
preach. Right. Um, right. You, they know more about it than you do if you're new to it. And that's totally fine. You're going to be a student for a while mm-hmm. and just embrace that role. Um, there's nothing more irritating, I think, to the immigrant community than some folks with maybe the white savior complex coming yeah. in. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't know anything about anything, but they've got all the solutions and they're here to tell you what you need to do. And they're benevolent. And, uh, they're here to help. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're definitely. And like, you know, they, those people might have pure as the driven snow. Right. intentions they right. they mean no harm but uh, they're just approaching it all wrong so just make sure you're checking yourself once in a while like okay am i am i here to learn or am i here with some sort of you know strong arm my agenda and yeah you know feel good about the state of the world right and uh so i think you you just have to be careful about that these little communities and and amongst activists it's really frustrating to see how on a local level the groups will become sort of fractured and mm-hmm. people get offended and then this person's not allowed at these meetings or you know, whatever <laughs> there's all kinds of drama when you uh, move into a place yeah. it's easy to be like well let's all just get together and this and that and and you're you might be ignoring like the the long trialed history of the place where you're at so just mm-hmm. take a minute to to figure those things out but um and then one thing i've been thinking about with this sanders plan you know i think uh warren released her plan and then there wasn't like a lot of buzz about it um which is not anyone's fault in particular she didn't well, none of the candidates really took the opportunity to force immigration into the de- the last debate, and so I mean, it hasn't come up. Has it come up at all? I like I, in the first couple of debates, they they mentioned it. And, and the thing about Trump is, it's so easy to be like, as president, I will not put babies in cages, and like the crowd roars, and, and that's a huge like, win, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, that's all right. Literally I'm the bare minimum. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, I, I do think that if it, it's a both plans, but Sanders' plan in particular, is a politically risky thing to do. It's yeah. not not everyone's on board, and it takes some selling. Uh, you might have family at Thanksgiving or whatever who are totally blown away by some of the ideas, and maybe not in a good way. Not in a good and way, so, right. <laughs> so I can take, confirm that. Yeah. yeah, take the time to educate yourself, first of all, but then also to reach out to his campaign and and thank him uh, either on Twitter or via email or whatever, mm-hmm. however you do that, to say like, hey, I read your plan. It's important to me and I really appreciate it because like I mentioned before, part of it's going to be the whole holding the feet to the fire and holding him accountable right. if he wins. And if he puts out this big, bold plan and then can kind of get away with like not really ever having to talk about it or nobody ever really bringing it up, mm-hmm. it could be the kind of thing that it's easy to sort of jettison when when things get tough politically. And so I think he needs to know that we uh, are grateful and we appreciate it, but also like we're watching, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, mean, I threw him, my... I threw him five bucks and that's, you know, when he released the plan, when he does something, I feel that's worthy of feedback in the form of like, minuscule monetary donations based on my budget, I will uh, apply, you know, I'll try to offer that positive feedback, that reinforcement. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's important. But, uh, but again, I think it's important for everybody to know you don't have to be an expert. You don't have mm -hmm. to understand all the ins and outs. You have to be willing to learn. That's kind of the main thing. So, 
Right. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically, like, what do you talk to people who have a difficult time accessing like mental health care as far as like, you know, I've thought about uh, like my barriers as a therapist because I don't speak Spanish, you know. Um, so I, I wonder, like, is that uh, is that sort of a more of a thing? Like it's it's too hard to find resources like that. As, as you're um, driving away. <laughs> oh, no. That's Making my a wife. getaway. She, my wife, she's leaving me. Um, my wife. My wife. Right. Steven, 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 Steven. I can't hear. Oh, sounds like Hello? you're back. Sounds like you're back. Yeah, you, you switched on to my, my wife's um, Bluetooth. <laughs> so you had a nice little conversation with her, probably. Um, I was just anyways, saying your name. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The question is barriers to mental health care for, for immigrants. Um, well, there's a, there's a bunch. Usually right. it's cost. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we meet a lot of people who need even like basic marriage counseling, lots of PTSD, trauma lots counseling. of trauma. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, even a case of somebody who comes in, they seem perfectly normal and they seem well adjusted. And then you do a little bit of scratching beneath the surface and it's like, Oh yeah, I was abused by, by my father and forced to quit school when I was 10 or mm. with, you know, these kinds of things are sort of commonplace, but cost is a huge barrier. Um, sometimes it's uh, language skills. There's not a lot of providers who speak uh, Spanish, but then also stigma. I mean, especially in Latin yep. America, there's a big stigma with like, well, you only talk to a counselor when you're nutso crazy, which I'm clearly not. So why would I do that dumb thing? <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and everyone knows. Like, yeah, everyone so, would know. That would be bad. So there's there's some cultural sort of awareness, some competencies that would be helpful and bridging this gap and addressing that. Yeah, and I think it's changing. I mean, especially with the the kids or the people who were born or raised here. Uh, but for the older generation or first generation Hispanic uh, immigrants, there's a, there's definitely real stigma. It can be a, a barrier. So, right. I mean, it's just in my personal practice, I've I've sort of been floated like kind of thinking about um, as a therapist offering um, EMDR, which is trauma processing therapy. Um, it's a lot of it's not even verbal thought about maybe just sort of finding ways to be able to do some pro bono, you know, stuff with that. Yeah. We need a lot of, uh, a lot of the times for removal defense or even certain waivers that we need, we need forensic mental health evaluation. So we're trying to Mm. prove hardship and there's some really good providers. There's all kinds of limitations and the main one really is cost. So to get the the appropriate testing done, um, Um, You know, it's anywhere from 900 to $2,000. And so, yeah, it's like most healthcare issues. It's obscene. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's obscene and you know, they're, they're professionals and they have degrees and things that they need to pay for. Like I I understand that if you're in a position to, to do one or two of those every couple months pro bono, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be huge because it's really hard when you have a case where like, that could be the deciding factor and, and the folks just can't afford it. Yeah. That's, that's just across the board. That's one of the biggest barriers anyway. Right. Steven, 
thank you so much for your time. A thousand percent pleasure to speak with you uh, again. Um, What are some ways we can find you on the airways and support your work? Um, which conservative AM radio show should we tune into? Well, you can download the News Talk KIT app. <laughs> and that's my local AM talk radio. And uh, normally I'm driving to work uh-huh. around uh-huh. 7. And the, driving to work and they're taking calls around 7.45 to top of the hour, 8 o'clock right. uh, Pacific <laughs> Standard Time. So you can listen to News Talk KIT anywhere you live. And uh, if you're lucky, you might catch one of my calls to the local guys. This um, is a legitimate place we can find you, by the way. This is it's a legitimate <laughs> place you can find me. And then um, I have a podcast called Redirect uh, Immigration Law and Perspectives. It's on iTunes, mm. Stitcher, and Spotify. And... We have a Patreon page for people who want to uh, send us a couple dollars. If you really like the show, then it's uh, patreon.com slash redirect. Awesome. And yeah, it's fun. We should talk more often. So, yeah, yeah no, I really I, appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time, for being a family guy and still doing this. So, um, yeah, No problem. Yeah, it's a good time. So, all right, you take care out there, and uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? All right, later. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. sit on my ass all day I would do nothing